What's up, everyone? It's your host, Matt James, and welcome to Generation Bitcoin. Today, I'm here with Tomer Strolite. How are you doing today, Tomer? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. I'm super excited to have you on. You're the co-host of For the Love of Bitcoin podcast, and you're a writer on Medium. Can you go into a little bit more about what, what you're doing and where you come from? Sure. As you said, I, I have my own podcast, which is called For the Love of Bitcoin. It's a it's a pretty hardcore Bitcoin podcast. We kind of call it the the podcast of the uh, self-sovereign software movement. So it's it's not just about Bitcoin. Um, it's really about the politics behind Bitcoin and the freedom movement and the spirit and the, and the love of Bitcoin, uh, which is why it's named that way. And there's quite a few episodes where we just talk about how much we uh, really love different aspects of Bitcoin. Uh, and my co-hosts are... Um, a guy, a guy who goes by the name of Bitcoin Granny. He's, his real name is Keith Levine. He's one of the original members of The Clash. He's a real, he's a real punk even before the cypherpunks existed. And he was the original guitarist as well for Public Image Limited, Pill, which was another great punk band of uh, of the punk era. And uh, my other co-host is a guy who goes by the name of uh, Bitcoin Mechanic, and he's he's been around the circuit quite a bit too. Um, also a musician, so I'm not a musician, but the other two of my co-hosts are, and we have a very broad age range between us, and uh, and we, we talk about how Bitcoin affects us and how we see it affecting the world. And then I've been writing about Bitcoin publicly for most of this year. I've written a, a series that was turned into a small ebook called Why Bitcoin? The Series. Guy Swan's read some of them. It's available as an electronic download on swanbitcoin.com slash whybitcoin. It's also available on my Medium. And I've written lots of other articles. I've written a series about Bitcoiners like called Who Are the Bitcoiners, which has a few articles about who Bitcoiners are and what it means to be a Bitcoiner. And then I have a whole other series of articles that I'm still in the middle of writing right now that are what I call deep takes on Bitcoin. And they talk about how Bitcoin... Uh, they, they talk about all kinds of different things, why Bitcoin is comparable to alien technology and why it has an ability to think and all kinds of really uh, interesting things. So th those are all at tomerstrolight.medium.com. And I know today we're going to discuss uh, a few of the pieces from my original series, Why Bitcoin, which were all, uh, it was a series of articles that looked at Bitcoin from a different facet in each article. And each article, my goal was to make it only three minutes long. Uh, to make it suitable for newcomers, but to also add something to people who were experienced Bitcoiners who hadn't thought of Bitcoin maybe yet in this way to provide a fresh take on Bitcoin that any, anyone could appreciate. Yeah, your articles are, are really great. What, what exactly, if you can briefly tell me, what, what inspired you to, to write all these articles on Medium about Bitcoin and you know what, why, why did Bitcoin appeal to you so much when you found out about it? It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. I, the last podcast I, I did on For the Love of Bitcoin was a couple of us asking ourselves what caused us to fall so deep down the rabbit hole. And it's, um, it's hard to know exactly. I, get, I think I've told this biographical story on a couple of other podcasts. So I, I don't want to retell it for people who are just here to listen to the reading of the articles. Uh, but I, I, I found everything about Bitcoin fascinating when I first heard about it in 2013. And it was um, it was something that could be all the money in the world. It was something that could be fr free from government corruption. Um, and it, it, in that sense, it was something that could be a real tool for freedom. 
And, uh, and, you know, people who go into my work will realize that I write a lot about it. There's one article I wrote recently called the essence, what is the essence of Bitcoin? And I said, it's an enforcement mechanism for morality. Like the laws of morality are, is a code of behavior that people can break, you can steal, you can kill, you can forcibly take things away. Uh, but Bitcoin has a code of ethics that, co- that co- corresponds to you should not lie, you should not steal, and it's actually unbreakable. You cannot steal Bitcoin. You cannot tell a lie about which Bitcoins you are in possession of and, and exist without it being caught out and verified. You cannot pretend to be Satoshi Nakamoto and not be called out and proven a liar. So it, it's, um, it's, it's this tremendous invention that for the first time ever, um, those things that all of us know to be fair and right and moral, except for perhaps the most pathological of us, um, have something to hold on to that is inviolable in that in that realm. I think that's what I was being drawn towards the whole time. For sure. Awesome. Well, let's uh, get straight into the articles then. Um, so I set up, I wanted to do three, three of your articles from your Why Bitcoin yeah. series. Uh, yeah. I think the first two kind of address, you know, two common pieces of FUD that you hear about Bitcoin being volatile and Bitcoin being uh, going to be stopped by the government in the future. Uh, right. A lot of people think that think those. So let's go ahead and uh, get right into those. If you can start with the uh, why Bitcoin is the path to economic stability. Oh, so it's my my pleasure to to, to read this. So uh, this is an article I wrote at the end of March of, of 2021. Um, which is this year for people listening to this fresh. Um, Why Bitcoin is the path to economic stability. Uh, Bitcoin is extremely volatile, say the journalists, economists, and bankers. Is it though? If you were on a boat that was being tossed about by rough seas and were looking out at a lighthouse on the shore, that lighthouse's position would appear extremely volatile. But here's why Bitcoin is like that lighthouse. Bitcoin is profoundly stable. Everything about Bitcoin's operation is actually perfectly stable. The supply of coins is issued precisely in the quantity and exactly according to the schedule that was set out on its launch. Bitcoin remains fully operational with not a single second of downtime in the last eight years and only two downtime events in its entire existence. Every critical aspect of Bitcoin, like its decentralization, remains in place and only gets stronger over time. No matter what the world has thrown at it, Bitcoin has kept all its promises. One, it has prevented Bitcoins from ever being misspent or respent. Two, it has issued a precisely predictable supply. Three, it has allowed owners to spend coins without restriction. Four, it has allowed anyone in the world to use Bitcoin. And five, it has allowed anyone in the world with a basic computer to verify all of these facts for themselves without having to trust anybody else. There have been no exceptions. How could anyone call this volatile? Bitcoin's adoption is a mass migration towards its stability. When critics call Bitcoin volatile, it is not meant to be a compliment. They are implying that stability is preferable to volatility. This much is correct. They are just mistaken about what stability is. Bitcoin's incredible stability and reliability, as described above, is precisely what is attracting such large and growing numbers of people, corporations, institutions, and governments to adopt it in ever greater degrees. 
As Bitcoin adoption increases, its value, as measured in dollars, rises profoundly, albeit with wild short-term fluctuations, as markets try to figure out just how valuable it is becoming. What's volatile is national currencies. The worst of the national currencies around us are in a state of collapse. Venezuela's Bolivar has lost 99% of its value against the US dollar in just a year at the time of this writing. However, even the British pound has experienced 17% volatility in ups and downs relative to the US dollar in the same one-year period. Now, if we hold national currencies up to the standard of stability described above, none even offer any of Bitcoin's promises. One, none offer any promises of predictability of supply, and many, including the dollar, have seen massive supply increases in recent times. Two, None are entirely resistant from being seized by crooks or authorities. Three, none offer their holders unrestricted permission to use them. Regulations exist that require owners to identify themselves and declare their uses for values above certain thresholds. Four, none offer access to every citizen of the world. Many specifically embargo people from other nations from using them. And five, none can have their supply verified or audited independently. It's doubtful if even the authorities in charge actually know what the supply is that exists. So Bitcoin is the path from volatility and opaqueness to predictability and transparency. In light of all this, it is no surprise that Bitcoin is increasingly being chosen over national currencies. Bitcoin's steady and unbreakable assurances give the world a stable standard upon which its people can reliably trade with one another across any distance, in any value, and over any period of time. And this reliability is exactly what will lead to greater global economic stability. Uh, so the thesis behind this one is really, people say Bitcoin is volatile. And I say, no, it's not. <laughs> and I don't just dispute it. I demonstrate that it isn't. What's volatile is the measuring stick. You know, you're, you're, on, you're on the dollar. You're on that boat being tossed about the seas. Um, it is wildly volatile. You cannot predict what the chairman of the Federal Reserve is going to say next Wednesday, and he's going to change things up and the rules are going to keep changing. That's volatility. And so when you use this highly volatile thing as your yardstick, something that's quite stable um, is may, may end up having the illusion of volatility. And many people aren't aware that they're being tossed about on the, on the boat on rough seas um, and that something else is there. And so what we're looking at as we see the Bitcoin price go from $1 to $50,000 is this migration of people from uh, this migration of wealth from the highly volatile system, the highly unpredictable system of uh, fiat money to the highly stable, highly predictable system of Bitcoin. And I guess I would add very clearly, not the system of crypto, which which it often gets lumped in with, which itself is highly volatile. New projects launch left, right, and center. They fail left, right, and center. Their monetary policies change left, right, and center. None of those have the stability. None of them keep their promises like Bitcoin does. So Bitcoin is the one um, and the only one of these projects. Uh, it's the only option in the world that you actually have for economic stability. But you can choose it. Nobody can stop you, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, you make a lot of good points there. You know, uh, clearly Bitcoin is very predictable in its supply schedule. Everything's very transparent and it's very, you know, stable in that way. Uh, however, a lot of people are concerned, uh, you know, when 
the mass adoption comes and it does go from a dollar to fifty thousand uh, dollars people who are fiat minded see uh, the corrections that happen this concern kind of comes into play when Bitcoin is being used as a medium of exchange, right? Uh, a lot of people are saying that you need something more stable in order for it to be a medium of exchange because we don't want those uh, prices, you know, going up and down. And one day a loaf of bread may be, you know, X amount and then it may be half the next day. So what, what do you say to that? Do you think Bitcoin is, is ready for being a means of exchange or uh, do you think it's going to take a little little bit more longer for it to be ready? I, I, I think it's ready for who, for whoever's ready for it. Nobody's forcing anybody into it. I, I point out, you know, the US, not in this particular article, but it doesn't take a lot of research on Google to see that the US dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power over the last 50 years. That's not exactly stable. That's like, you know, there's famous people who, who have analogies of it's like a leaky pool. It's like a balloon with a hole cut out of it. Like the value leaks from the dollar and the prices do go up. And uh, we're fed quite a bullshit line that inflation is only 2%. And we're fed an even bullshittier line that inflation is good. So if, if you look at important things like housing and education and many items of food, the inflation rate is actually way, way higher than two percent so your dollar is not a good store of value and it i think it's a distraction or, or it's um it, it's an attempt to make people look away from the the poverty of the u.s dollar as both a store of value and a medium of exchange when you say well look this other thing moves up and down a little bit more frequently but the you know if you're trying to save if you're trying to work to save up dollars to buy a house you're screwed Right. And the price of the house just goes up much, much faster than you can possibly afford it. But that's okay because the banks will just shove more money at you in a loan because that's how they make money and they're permitted to loan out as much money as anyone can, can come, you know, can come up with to just service the interest on. And so you become a debt slave for the rest of your life. And this is presented as a better alternative than Bitcoin. I think that's a, that's a big sham. Right. And, um, and I, I, I don't know that I have to really make much of a case to defend it, but it's uh, for the person who says honestly, because I, I think the, I think many of these critics are very dishonest people. They're paid by the fiat system. They're fiat economists working in fiat jobs for universities, and they're the ones who are feeding us this, this completely illogical line that it's good for us that our savings are destroyed, and you know that our money buys less and less each year. And they tell us that that's good for us. Only a fool would believe that, and only a fool would state that. So I don't think, I don't think that those people are honest because they're probably not as that foolish. But I think for people who have been mesmerized and grown up in it all, the, all their lives and don't see that there's another way, and and so they are genuinely tricked by these arguments. My my response to them is, take a deep breath, open your eyes, take a look. Wouldn't you prefer if your money had more and more purchasing power over time if you used it? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be a better world if the price of a house for you today was the same as what it was for your parents and will be the same for your children? Otherwise, we end up in a world where for people who are just in entering the housing market today, a house is unaffordable. And imagine what it'll be like for your kids. Um, it, so we just have that's an unstable system, right? That's an in unsustainable, unstable system. So don't tell me that Bitcoin lacks stability when you're 
arguing from a position of this incredibly unstable system that requires constant intervention and flooding. And for anyone who studies it closely realizes, well, the beneficiaries of all of this intervention is the ruling class, the wealthy class, the cantillonaire class, as they're, as they're called. And it all comes at the expense of the middle class and the working class. So, um, so Bitcoin's stable and it's choosable by honest, hardworking people. And that's why the dishonest critics are freaking out because they're losing their control over their slaves and too bad for them because they don't have any right to enslave anybody. You bring up some good points there. You know, CPI is definitely a, I call it a straight up scam. They're trying to tell you that you're losing about two to 5% a year in fiat. Right. right? Uh, but you're really, I mean, if you look at the money supply, right, it's gone up 30, 40% a year. So that, that's the real inflation and, and right. uh, people are losing, losing value over time with fiat for sure. So, yeah. so do you think, uh, Bitcoin's price and in, in terms of fiat, uh, will get st more stable over time, uh, as it gets adopted and more, more money gets in it? No, fiat is going to zero. So it will not be stable, right? Fiat is, fiat is garbage and it is corrupted and we are in it and it is potentially in its death throes right now so no it won't it won't be stable what what will happen is the price of goods as priced in bitcoin will continue to drop and there will be moments in time where they may rise here and there due to short due to legitimate reasons like shortages which which then it's a price signal that says buy a substitute right because this thing is rare now so it's so you need to buy something else that's what price signals are meant to do they're not meant to be controlled by some idiot professor at some idiot university they are they're meant to signal what the supply is and how, and match it up to the demand of things so we will see prices move around and we will see but the volatility will not come from the supply of currency it will come from the supply of the goods being sold and the quantity of goods being sold and how close a substitute one is to an one is to another. So prices will forever fluctuate. It's again, it's another one of these delusional economic utopian fantasies that will never come true to have this notion that all prices will somehow be set and will never change. This is the fallacy of price controls. And every time they've been tried, they've led to disastrous results, uh, often shortages, often shortages of essential goods like food. Um, and so, uh, but will prices, um, like prices aren't stable in dollars, right? Prices aren't stable in fiat. So why would they be stable in um, in Bitcoin? But the, the good news is they're going to keep getting cheaper. So if you're able to save, like don't over consume, work to earn money and save your money and you'll be set um, and you'll be able to have a generally predictable supply of your basic needs and, and what wants uh, you can afford depending on how successful your efforts have been in earning you money. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin is, is a uh, stable when you look at, uh, when you compare it to fiat for sure, since fiat's uh, losing value so, so quickly over time and it's, uh, it's, you know, guaranteed to, right? So mm -hmm. you either take something that's guaranteed to be debased or something that's right. guaranteed to have a supply cap. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Right. Do you, yeah. uh, do you, do you see um, fiat as something that's going to inevitably be corrupted and hyperinflate? And you're saying you think it's going to go go to zero over time? Do you think that's going to be a, a quick thing? It's yeah. just a matter of time. It's very hard to predict, you know, when tipping point events happen. You know, like sometimes, sometimes they've already happened and people just didn't realize it. Um, and sometimes 
they do happen very, very suddenly and very quickly and somewhat unpredictably. Sometimes they happen gradually, like the frog being boiled in water analogy. So that I can't say for certain. And I don't like to make price predictions and timing-based predictions, but I'd say you're living in a moment in history that's going to be seen as unique. It's the moment in history when Bitcoin was first introduced to the human race, before it has fully monetized, while fiat currencies exist. That will come to, uh, that I'm predicting will come to an end. We will have Bitcoin as the world's global reserve currency and global currency. I mean, we won't need one that's a reserve and then have all these derivative uh, versions of it. Everyone will just use Bitcoin or something else that's a direct proxy that's pegged to Bitcoin and is presumably incorruptible. And we can buy Bitcoin today. You won't be able to buy Bitcoin in the future. It won't make sense because what would you buy it with? Well, Bitcoin. So it's like, how much is one Bitcoin? Well, one Bitcoin. Right? And people won't be talking about Bitcoin. They'll be talking about Satoshis because one Bitcoin will be so valuable that it'll just seem like, you know, <laughs> ordinary people won't talk about quantities as large as one Bitcoin. So that's, um, that's kind of, the, that's a direction that we're headed in eventually. And I say, recognize what time in history you live in and act accordingly if you can see what the future is and the future looks pretty clear to me uh as it relates to bitcoin which we'll probably get into in the next article called why nobody can stop bitcoin <laughs> yeah let, let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next one i think mm. you made a pretty good case a, there about about yeah. how bitcoin is actually stable so i okay. really enjoyed that reading can you go okay. on to the next one about uh yeah about why nobody can stop bitcoin Sure. So yeah, so the next article is called Why Nobody Can Stop Bitcoin. It was written just a week before the article I just read. So we're reading them out of order, but it's okay because it, they, they weren't written to be in any kind of chronological order. And this one was published on March 25th. Um, and it's called Why Nobody Can Stop Bitcoin. Um, so here goes. Um, just about every man-made thing can be stopped somehow. We can slam on a vehicle's brakes or at least put an obstacle in its way. We can cut a machine's power. We can order an organization stopped by the courts or the armed forces, if necessary. It seems like you can stop anything with some force that counters whatever keeps that thing going. So how could a thing like Bitcoin become unstoppable? Bitcoin employs two countermeasures to ever being stopped. First is flawless replicas everywhere. Bitcoin's first defense from being stopped is that you can't actually locate it. It's hard, after all, to stop something that you can't find. Now, a Bitcoin node is an instance of the Bitcoin program running on some computer, and each and every Bitcoin node is an exact replica of every other Bitcoin node in every way that matters. Each node contains all the programming necessary to run Bitcoin, along with all the information about who can spend every single bit of every Bitcoin. If someone wanted to stop Bitcoin, they'd have to stop each and every node everywhere in the world, all at once, and keep them all stopped forever. However, Bitcoin isn't hard to run. It can operate on the simplest of computers available today. Bitcoin can also hide behind encrypted services so that nobody can see where it's running. It is impossible to find all the computers in the world running Bitcoin. If someone were hunting down Bitcoin in an attempt to shut it down, they might find some nodes, or maybe even a lot of them, but as long as Bitcoin is running somewhere on some computer, it is running for everyone and anyone that can reach that computer. 
And reaching a computer is pretty easy, considering the internet connects just about every computer in the world to every other one. Even if someone managed to stop every node, as soon as one of them restarted, Bitcoin would resume where it left off. If in fact someone was hunting down the world's Bitcoin nodes, any of them could go into sleep mode when the hunter came near and thus become completely invisible until that hunter moved on to find other prey. The first thing it would do when it awoke would be to turn itself into a precise replica of all the other nodes out there that hadn't been asleep. There's tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of nodes running everywhere all over the world right now. There's no way to know how many Bitcoin nodes are running. That makes it impossible to even know how hard a task it would be to try to stop Bitcoin. Second is flexible energy requirements. Most things require some minimum amount of energy to operate. Bitcoin doesn't. Yes, Bitcoin uses energy. It uses energy to ensure that no node can trick any other node into becoming different from any of the others. This energy use is what prevents any node from ever mistaking which is the true record to replicate. The true record is the one with the most energy used. But exactly how much energy Bitcoin needs depends only on how much energy is actually being used. If someone managed to cut the power to even all but one of the nodes, eventually the energy requirements of Bitcoin would diminish so that just that last little node's power would be all that was needed to keep the network ticking along just fine. So Bitcoin can't be starved of the energy it needs because it can operate on very little energy if that's all it can get. You take unfindable plus unstarvable equals unstoppable. Put it all together and you get unstoppability. Since nobody can physically find all the necessary parts they'd need to, to shut down Bitcoin, and nobody can starve Bitcoin of the energy it needs, nobody can stop it. There are many reasons it's important that nobody can stop Bitcoin. One is that Bitcoin itself is extremely important, uh, and that has a link to another article. And even more importantly, you need Bitcoin to become all that you can be which is the link to yet another article in the series. And that's the end of that article. So clearly, you know, Bitcoin is unstoppable, uh, partially due to how easy it is to running a node, like you were saying. Uh, you know, it's super easy. I, I just got one up uh, using Umbrel, uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, under a day, and uh, that was super simple. So it's really cool to see, you know, the technology and how it's growing and how things are becoming easier and easier. Uh, do you do you recommend running a uh, running a node? And do you Absolutely. yourself run a node? Yes, yeah? I, I run more than one. Um, and I won't say how many and I won't say where they are. So try to stop Bitcoin <laughs> just just by stopping me. Um, I think it's crucial um, for for several reasons. Just if assuming that you're a Bitcoin holder, if you don't if you don't hold any Bitcoin, you're not really doing anything for your own sake by running a node. But if you do, you're verifying the blockchain yourself, and you have a copy of the record that you know is true. You don't have to take anybody else's word for it, which is another point that we made about one of its promises in the first article that we read, and it's. It's important to understand that Bitcoin is personal responsibility money, right? Like you can lose it. And if you lose it, nobody can bail you out and you can verify it. And that means that it's your personal responsibility. So I think it's a personal responsibility for all holders to take possession of their coins, to learn how to do it safely, do it a little bit at a time. If at first that's what you need to do so that you know that you can spend them and move them and not lose them and have them backed up and they don't get stolen and all these kinds of rookie mistakes that you get past. But it's your own personal responsibility to run your own node. It's your own personal responsibility to hold your own coins. That's what makes this a system that can't be captured 
by governments or thugs or con artists. Uh, so if you want Bitcoin to do for you the things that it promises, you have to use it in the way that it can deliver those promises to you. And if you give your Bitcoins to somebody else to hold, or if you don't verify the record, then you don't know if you actually got any Bitcoins. And that, that's certainly where that expression, not your keys, not your coins, comes from. The other really important reason to run a node is Bitcoin's future, Bitcoin's scaling architecture is built on top of nodes. You know, you, you, need the, you need the core node. And then on top of that, now you can run things like the Lightning Network. And the Lightning Network needs a full node underneath it uh, because you're running this second layer. And the Lightning Network is fantastic. It eliminates the wait times. It eliminates fees. It allows instant payment. It, they're, develop, they're constantly advancing on it. It evolves much, much, much faster than this core foundation base layer. And there's incredible things that it can already do. And there's even more incredible things that are coming. So it will be, it will be the replacement of the payments architecture which, is, which when you were asking earlier from the first article, can Bitcoin be the medium of exchange? And part of what you need for a medium of exchange to work is, well, every transaction in the world needs to happen on it. There's millions of transactions happening every with every word I speak because there's billions of people doing business in the world. And Lightning Network, which maybe we'll discuss another time or other people can research separately, scales Bitcoin to that level by not requiring interactions on the base on the base chain for all these lightweight transactions. And it's remarkable and it's much, much higher scale. It's much, much higher resilience. It's much, much higher redundancy than anything else that exists in the world right now. And I know we're not gonna go into it right now, but I'm saying it's more resilient and more reliable and more scalable than all the banks technology in the world and all of the Visa and MasterCards in the world put together already. Like the way that this system is architected is just, so incredible and so contemporary because uh, it uses the best technology that exists in the world and it's not tied to these legacy systems and all the compliance regulations that they are forced to it's just the best use of technology that exists to provide secure reliable uncheatable wealth transfer so um so i'm going a little bit off topic but it, it was just in response to why you should run a node uh, because you get to participate in this. And when people say you get to be your own bank, I think that's a, you get to be your own financial institution with all the responsibility that comes with it. But it's actually easy to do because all you need to do is run a node and follow the basic instructions for running, for running a node. Make sure you have backups. Make sure you have strong passwords to protect things so that you know how to restore things if your primary piece of hardware fails. And then you've got your own money. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, this is not my quote, but... Uh, I, there was this meme that went around like Bitcoin will bank the un, all the unbanked people in the world. And I think someone came up with a much better quote, which was, no, no, Bitcoin will unbank all the banked people in the world. Right? You will mm -hmm. not need to go to another institution to get all of your financial services. You can run them off of a $200 computer in your own house or wherever you choose to hide it. Yeah, I like that. It will uh, unbank the banked actually yeah. <laughs> that's a cool way of putting it mm -hmm. well bitcoin does have a big bounty on it in the sense that you know there's a big incentive to stop this because it threatens the uh, money printer right the whole fiat yeah. system it threatens in the long run do you right. uh, is there any any concerns that you have in terms of you know governments waging bigger attacks and do you think that's going to going to happen do you think there'll be a big filter event of some sort 
No, I don't. I, I think I think first of all, when we look at the history of Bitcoin, as um, and, and I would say there's another article in this series that is closely related to this one, which is called "Why Everything That Should Hurt Bitcoin Actually Makes It Stronger." I think that's what its title is. It's something very close to that, and it really is a companion to this because it describes how. As you said, Bitcoin has a big bounty on its head. It's seven or eight hundred billion dollars right now. If you can destroy Bitcoin, if you can exploit something about Bitcoin, and nobody's ever managed to exploit anything about it, if you could, if you can do it, you better move fast because someone else might figure it out, and they'll do the exploiting, or somebody else might figure it out and fix and patch it so that you can't do the exploiting. So get out there and do it. And Bitcoin is out there right now, every single minute of every single day. On, you know, operating and and go ahead and attack it if you can. And there's 7 billion people on this earth who can all attack it all this time right now, including every and and millions of corporations and hundreds of governments with all of their security institutions. It's there. Why have we not seen it attack? Well, I'm sure people have been trying to figure out how to attack it. And this is part of the incredible achievement of what Bitcoin is. Here it is standing out there with no offense only its defense of its architecture and nobody's been able to stop it and and there's not only an incentive to try to stop it but to try to stop it as fast as you can because you want to get ahead of the next guy who figures out the same thing that you did because the the source code is all open everything's out there so anyone who can figure out how to stop it should try to stop it right away right they should short short bitcoin and try to stop it and become one of the richest people on on earth and nobody can do it, and nobody has been able to do it. And every second that we speak, that Bitcoin keeps on running, is more proof that nobody in the world, including the biggest governments, can figure it out. So that, so just as a first thing to people who are new to Bitcoin and who just say, well, the government can stop anything. Well, the government can't stop anything. Let, let's also give our heads a shake. Name one thing that the government has stopped, including things that it started that it said it was going to stop, like the income tax. or like The government can't really stop anything. The government can make things very inconvenient to use. It can throw some people in jail for using some things as it did in its war on drugs. But the war on drugs has a winner and the winner was drugs. And the, the, the government lost. The government failed to stop drugs. It was probably a very ill-conceived war. It shouldn't have been a war, uh, but we're not here to talk about uh, those bad decisions. We're just talking about people who think governments can stop things have, I, I, like I challenge them to say, show me something that the government has stopped. The government can't really stop anything, and, and, but people think it has the power to do it. It hasn't stopped crime. That's just, it hasn't stopped wars. It hasn't stopped people abusing each other. It hasn't stopped people being mean to each other. It hasn't stopped poverty. It hasn't stopped all these claims. It hasn't stopped illiteracy. So the government can't stop. It can't stop the absence of things. It can't stop the presence of things. It's a very limited institution. And, um, and so if you think it can stop Bitcoin, which is built to be really, really, really rugged, um, you know, I, I'd be more concerned about a, one smart hacker than the whole government uh, being able to stop so, something in the, in this realm, in this digital realm. Uh, but people people tend to think, well, the government will outlaw it, so people will stop using it. I say, okay, well, give me an example in history where the government outlawed something and people actually stopped using it. And they'll say, well, well, you know, they'll make it really inconvenient. I don't want to use it if the government outlaws. I won't use it if the government outlaws it. So, okay, well, so. Nobody's, we're not talking about the government stopping Bitcoin now. We're talking about you stopping using Bitcoin because you've been ordered to, because 
you comply with what the government says rather than you resist um, than you resist and that that takes us down a whole other avenue I'd still would argue so we were in agreement that Bitcoin isn't stopped we've just in agreement that you are complying to not use Bitcoin because you're not interested in defending your freedom I mean you know like I I don't mean to be too snarky about it but if you if you just comply with anything the government says you're not a free person you are a compliant slave and and it's a it's a hard truth to confront if you say I will obey any law that's passed uh, to me and then you say well maybe I'll do it within reason and you'll say well maybe I'll I'll do it because uh, I'll do it in the case of Bitcoin because I don't think Bitcoin's important enough it's okay well that's your choice uh, but that but that's your choice and Bitcoin doesn't stop and if the discussion is can can anybody stop Bitcoin my answer is still no nobody can stop it if you if you obey every rule and you and you try to you try to you know follow every law that comes into existence that's you know basically impossible right there's laws being added true too. every day there's, yeah you can't you can't even read the laws you don't even know all the laws you have to obey and i'm sure many are contradictory so in obeying one you're breaking another oh. yeah yeah i hear that uh, the average person breaks i forget like if three felonies or something a day so wow but there's just so many so many insane laws though and they never they never take any down right they're always adding they more, never do right they never do yeah. although they say they will and so you know like we're we're at this age where it's kind of reached epic ludicrous proportions and we do need to take our freedom back we need to, we need to reassert it and you know some people have written some really lovely essays about how bitcoin is a peaceful revolution nick carter has an article called bitcoin a most peaceful revolution and i really urge everyone to read it um, because we've never had this option in the past we've either had to continue to see governments increase in oppression until there's some state of collapse which leads to a revolution which is often bloody and violent and um and so it's it's a it's bad followed by bad to get to good and here we have uh something peaceful and good to get to good so it's a historic unprecedented type of revolutionary technology which is you know nonviolent bloodless peaceful and uh, and so it really is a very extraordinary gift that we have access to in all of human history uh, at a time when we need it we we need it because things are getting out of control if if one country makes Bitcoin illegal through legislation, can you kind of walk through exactly what you think will happen and what has happened if, if yeah, that's well, already so happened? The, the countries where it's most used are the countries where it's illegal, right? Like Because I, I think in Nigeria, they've cracked down on it. And Nigeria is, if not the single highest that single highest usage rate of Bitcoin amongst its population, then it's in the top two. So why does that happen? And China's made Bitcoin illegal numerous times on and off. And we actually ended up with most mining in the world down there. And then recently, China essentially made Bitcoin mining illegal and was able to stop the Bitcoin mining in that country. And so the consequence was the mining happened elsewhere. Right? Because Bitcoin is global, if you shut it down, if you manage to shut it down in a small geographic part of the world, even a large geographic part of the world, it continues to operate everywhere. And anyone who can connect to it, even within the region where it's alleged to be shut down, experiences the same Bitcoin that everybody else in the world it, you know, does because it's, un, it's uncorruptible. 
because it's verifiable and you can connect to the chain and it's being broadcast from satellites in space. So as much as you say it's shut down, like the radio signals with the binary file that constitutes the whole of Bitcoin is beaming, is raining down upon us <laughs> all the time. And anyone with the equipment to pick up that signal anywhere, even in the middle of a forest, um, can run Bitcoin. So it's really like, it's just, you can't touch it. You can't see it. Um, it's ethereal, <laughs> which is an ironic. Um, it is spiritual in a sense, right? It, it just, it covers everything. And so it's not helpful for a country, and it's certainly not effective for a country to shut it down, right? Like countries have maybe even had more success in attempting to shut down other things, uh, which they've been unsuccessful at. But here is something that is um, not even material. So you can't, you can't wage war on it. You can't drop a bomb on Bitcoin. It's everywhere in the world all at once. You can't launch a chemical attack on it. You can't launch a biological attack on it. You can't launch, a, you know, there's just no attack that can take Bitcoin down, which is kind of, which is, which is what I was just trying to get at the base of in this article. I mean, this is a very simple article. And if you talk to the cryptographers and the developers and the architects who are, always working on Bitcoin, they're trying to think of every single thing that uh, that can possibly take it down. And if they ever come up with something, they patch it rather than uh, rather than than exploit it. But I think, you know, I think, again, a lot of people who are naive come in and say, oh, wait, I've got I've got it. I figured out what can shut down Bitcoin, which is cute. And it's kind of funny. And I've, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people. And I say, oh, I've, let me go to Twitter and tell everybody some some guy on the Internet has figured out that Bitcoin can be stopped. And it's like, no, you know, like, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're coming to me with a PhD in system security and, and encryption and everything, you almost certainly haven't come up with anything that hasn't been thought of a thousand times or a million times or, a, you know, 10 million times and addressed. You're just naive as to what's been <laughs> explored because you're new to the space, which is fine. But just don't presume that all the millions of people who've been involved in this for over 10 years now haven't thought of what you just came up with after only being introduced to Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the learning experience. I've encountered a lot of people like that too. And I mm -hmm. try to, you know, remain calm and just tell them, you know, ex right. like debunk the FUD, you know, in a short yeah. and easy to understand explanation. Yeah. yeah. So if we can get into the next article here about why Bitcoin is not like anything you've ever seen before. This is actually, um, this is my favorite article from the whole series, uh, my personal favorite. And there's, there's quite a few that I really like. If I, you know, they're all my, they're all my children and everyone says you love them more, but you just love one or two more than others. I actually have one called Why Bitcoin is Worthy of Being Loved, which is probably my second favorite. Um, but it, it's not necessarily for everyone. This one is for everyone. Uh, and this one I wrote on April 10th. Uh, and it's really short. It's called Why Bitcoin is Not Like Anything You've Ever Seen Before. And it begins with a quote. It says, perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. And it's by uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Um, so let me read it. Uh, Bitcoin is so different from anything we've ever seen before that it is helpful to newcomers to first show them what it is not. In doing so, we often use words that are the opposite of ones we typically use to describe things we are familiar with. Bitcoin is not like any organization that anyone has ever encountered before. Bitcoin is missing a lot of features we see in just about every organization. Bitcoin has no leader, no employees, no headquarters, no center of operations, 
no government, no rulers of any type, no elections, no location, no physical or intellectual property, no assets, and no money. It is not even incorporated or legally constituted in any manner anywhere on earth. Bitcoin's design rejects all these common features of organizations. Bitcoin sees these features not only as unnecessary, but as undesirable. This is because it recognizes that each is a vulnerability. Bitcoin deals with such vulnerabilities by not having them in the first place. If any of these features were in Bitcoin, it could lead to Bitcoin halting, being taken over, becoming corrupted, or being destroyed. By removing them, Bitcoin becomes unstoppable, uncontrollable, incorruptible, and indestructible. By eliminating all vulnerabilities, Bitcoin becomes invulnerable. These intentional omissions are the genius in its design which makes Bitcoin valuable and indispensable. What then is Bitcoin? If Bitcoin isn't any of these things, what then is it? Bitcoin is a mechanism organizing people and computers to make one unerasable digital document. And unerasable is also known by the fancier terms immalleable or immutable. The document it creates is a record of its own history. It can only be added to over time, not edited nor erased. The record's past is preserved beneath layer upon layer of proof of the energy used in creating it. Erasing any recent records requires so much energy as to be impractical, and erasing older ones is effectively impossible. There's even more that Bitcoin doesn't do. Bitcoin doesn't keep track of the identities of the people or the machines that use it. This makes it permissionless. It doesn't increase the supply of Bitcoins to meet demand, making it deflationary and inviolate. It doesn't force itself on anyone, making it consensual. It doesn't exclude anyone from using it, making it inclusive. Bitcoin sets out to do one thing and one thing only to be the best money that humankind has ever had and will ever have, and it is uncompromising in its singular mission. In being this, Bitcoin makes possible a much brighter future for humankind and the Earth. And there's, that's the end of the article. There's a few links to other stories that elaborate on some of many of these words and points uh, in the article if people go to it, all of which are like these other three-minute articles. But um, I find it really, really helpful to start when I teach courses on Bitcoin. I start with this article and I start with these ideas like clean your mind of all the assumptions. People start with thinking, well, it's a company or it has shares in it or it has a must have a leader. Or it must have a head office or somebody I can talk to. And it's like it's so original and so unique. There is no employee of Bitcoin. If you screw up. If you don't like it, there's nobody, there's no complaints department, there's no customer service department, there's no marketing department, there's no investors, there's, there's no owners. Uh, Bitcoin is not owned. Right? The, the, the institutions, like anyone can participate and anyone can leave, but nobody can own it. You know, if, if the definition yeah. of ownership is the ability to dispose of or trans, transfer ownership, like you can own the Bitcoins within the network, but you can't own... Bitcoin, the network itself. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. It, it really uh, kind of shakes things up. People who don't under fully understand it probably get a get, get a mind blowing experience from reading something like that. I like I like the ending when you when you say that you know it's a brighter future for humankind and yeah. Bitcoin just has one one purpose to be the the best money money possible. So do right. do you think Bitcoin is um is the most ground uh, groundbreaking technology in our, in our lifetimes in terms of yeah. what it brings to humanity absolutely absolutely unquestionably und- undeniably we've not seen anything like this it's such it's such an incredible revolution i i've written another article recently that's kind of a fun take to look at what it does it makes it such an incredible um technology and i think the article is called um why some people why people wonder if bitcoin is alien technology because it does these things that are so unlike anything else that have ever come before it. And that article kind of goes through this. And there's another point. If you, if you go and if you, if you like listening, I've recorded uh, my reading of that article on a podcast called The Dumbest Guy in the Room, but you can find it in, um, in my deep takes on my medium. I'm just speaking to listeners here. Uh, who are interested but like bitcoin does things that no other inv- human invention has ever done it's self-replicating it's self-adjusting it's self-correcting it's built to last not for like 10 or 20 or 30 years without maintenance it's built to last for billions of years without any maintenance like it's just who builds these sorts of things well no human who's ever come before so you know when people study it and they look at it and they say wow it's unbreakable it's unstoppable it's going to run forever it can adjust itself and it won't let anybody else take control of it or adjust it as people invariably get to this conclusion (laughs) they say like was it could satoshi nakamoto have been an alien or you know some some other kind of being because i just don't see any human being who's created anything like this before so it is it's it's an invention that's so extraordinary um and unique from anything we've really seen before that's why i someone needed to write an article that said it's not like anything you've ever seen before it's not it's not something 2.0 it's something (laughs) 1.0 and and it also resists having a 2.0 of it made because there's you know there's only 21 million bitcoin and this is there's an infinite number of shit coins, right? Like there's, there's no limit, uh, to how many, uh, altcoins can be created, but Bitcoin can only be created once. Um, and it was only created once and it was created kind of in this very beautiful and perfect way, which included its creator, not seeking any, its creator gifting it to the world, right? Like Satoshi did not seek personal fame. Nobody knows who he is. If he's human, nobody like nobody. He doesn't get people slapping on the street, going "way to go." So he doesn't get fame. He doesn't get power, right? Because he's he's disappeared. So he can't pull the strings. He can't manipulate. He can't control it, which is not true of any other crypto or fiat currency. Right? They all have the rulers who change the rules as they go along, often unsurprisingly to suit their interests. Um, and he doesn't have any wealth. Right? He didn't do this for the money because he's never touched any of his coins other than one transaction where he sent Hal Finney 10 coins and Hal sent them back to him. But that's, that's it. And I think it's safe to say that Satoshi's gone and won't be, won't be moving those coins and won't be spending those coins and did not do this for the money, right? So didn't do it for the money, didn't do it for the power, didn't do it for the fame. So egoless in this creation, which again, none of these other projects have. We know, we know who the rulers are. That makes them seizable. That makes them corruptible either through influencing the leader or through the leader's own 
human frailties and fallibilities. Um, and so there's only one Bitcoin. And there's only one thing like Bitcoin. These other things that claim to be like Bitcoin, if they're if a person's making an honest claim, then that claim is mistake is honest but mistaken. And typically they're they're not honest claims. That person knows that what they've done isn't Bitcoin. Um, it's an attempt to trick other people into thinking that they have something allegedly better than Bitcoin, but it it isn't. I, I get you on that. So with Bitcoin is a incorruptible money that you were, you were saying, you know, supposed to be the base layer of our new financial system. Uh, with this new incorruptible money that Bitcoin is, do you see uh, corruption not just at the base layer, but corruption everywhere as going down and people not being able to, you know, get that newly created fiat money? So there's just going to be a less less corrupt world in general. Is that is that yes. how you see it? I I do. I think that's a wonderful thing. I don't. It's it doesn't end human fallibility. Humans can still make mistakes, but it ends a lot of incentives to choose immorality, to choose corruptibility, right? Um, there's no if you can't seize control of the money supply, if you can't print more dollars or you know more currency units and give them to yourself, you're not going to dedicate a lot of your energy to trying to do that which is what a lot of people do in this world today, right? There's a lot of people who are trying to pull off scams, who are trying to cheat, who are trying to lie, who are trying to get elected, who are trying to, you know, on false promises. There's not going to be any point when, when the dust settles and the Bitcoin society, civilization is here, it'll be the rare person who really goes out of their way to try to be dishonest and and think that they're going to have success at it and i think i think like i think a great example is the case of anyone who's come around pretending to be satoshi right like again there might like first of all you can't go if you are just go ahead and spend the coins like you, there you go like you've got all the wealth right and if you spend the coins then you've got all the fame because everyone will say yep i guess you're them and Presumably, a bunch of people will give you some power, but anyone who comes along just gets laughed at, right? And it, and we see the difference between. But and I want to contrast that against somebody who comes forward in the realm of politics and says, "I can fix all your problems, right? I've, I'm the wise politician. I've got a platform. It's got all these points, and it's going to solve all your problems." And it's BS, right? Um, they. <laughs> They, they never succeed, right? They, they never solve any of the problems that they say they would. The problems typically only get worse. We find out that they're corrupt. They're, they're doing terrible things. They're involved with terrible people. They are, whether they're doing it knowingly or fooled, there's all this fallibility. And again, you know, that one of the other things that, one of the things that's important that we see that Bitcoin doesn't have is it doesn't have fallible human beings in roles where if they were corrupted or failed, the system would be corrupted or would fail. Um, Bitcoin solves this problem by removing people from it. <laughs> the, it solves, like I have another article that talk that says that Bitcoin's the most inclusive institution in the world. And it says that, you know, we have this problem. Inclusivity is wonderful, but people are prejudiced. Are they, they, they make mistakes. They're fallible. And so Bitcoin solves the problem of inclusivity by removing people from the decision of who can use it. It just lets anyone in the world use it. And now the problem of inclusivity is solved. There's no corrupt person who harbors prejudice able to stop anybody. Uh, and lo and behold, it's the most inclusive institution in the world. So, I mean, these are remarkable inventions. And I, I think that quote that I start this article with, that perfection is achieved not when you've 
bloated everything with every feature you can think of, when we've actually removed everything that can get in the way of the smooth operation of this thing towards the goal that you have. And, uh, and all of this comes around, right? Every one of these articles, we can now see they're actually talking about the same thing. Right? And when I talk about Bitcoin stability, I say it made a promise that everyone in the world can use it. And when I talk about inclusivity, it delivers on a problem so that, which is, it delivers on a promise, which is that everyone in the world can use it. And it's not like anything else in the world because it succeeds in being inclusive by removing the exclusive human beings from from it from it so all of these things are the same but when you start to look at it in all these different shapes and angles you realize wow this is a really extraordinary and unique thing and i and i can see it from all these different perspectives and that's what i really aim to try to do with this whole why bitcoin series and i think i think then when i when i've written some other articles about it they've been uh they've been looks at it from a much more sophisticated angle or a much harder angle to look at things those articles are not three minutes long they're they're 10 maybe the longest one's 20 minutes but most of them are 10 to 15 minutes long some are only eight minutes um and they take on slightly more uh challenging topics but so i would say if you're for, for any of your listeners who want to read my work you can read the why bitcoin stuff really quickly even though it's 25 articles and then read some of the other stuff a little more slowly but the stuff about the and stuff about you're asking about corruption, and I'm sorry that I've gone off on a bunch of things. I think we're going to end up with a much less corrupt group. And I have, you know, it, it's nice to have written all these articles because I can point people to them rather than have to tell the whole hypothesis here. But I have one article that I, I called Rich or Poor Bitcoiners Have What Money Can't Buy. And I talk about the process of becoming a Bitcoiner which is you have to study all of these things, so like all these things that we're talking about. You have to learn them and study them. And I talk about there are things that money can't buy. It can't buy intelligence. It can't buy integrity. It can't buy love. It can't buy friendship. And uh, I, again, it's only a four-minute read, so I'd encourage people to read it. But I, I point out how the process of becoming a Bitcoiner actually gives you, it's like a training to give you these things that money can't buy. And so whether you have a lot of Bitcoin or not, by the time you actually become a a Bitcoiner with conviction, you've trained yourself to to have integrity, to have intelligence, um, and to be worthy of having real friends uh, who share those virtues. So yeah. it's a pretty extraordinary thing, and you won't be corrupt, right? Like you, you, it, once you understand this, and you understand that there's no point in being corrupt, and you understand that you can add so much value to the world by creating value and trading it for the value that other people create rather than being in some dog-eat-dog world where who, he who tells the biggest lie and wins the election gets all the wealth and all the power, you're, you'll be much more motivated to be moral than to play some immoral game that involves corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin is quite the, quite the idea to get your head around. There's, there's a lot of aspects to, to learn about it. And, you know, I, I really do like your writings. I think they, they put it, uh, in the easy to understand, uh, explanations and, you know, the why Bitcoin series that you're mentioning is really, really great. Cause I, I like the short form content. I think that's a great way to get, to get new people into the space and, and understanding, mm -hmm. uh, understanding everything yeah. about Bitcoin. For sure. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll make one last point, which is Bitcoiners talk about low time preference, right? Being able to take your time with things, not hurrying. And so that's why Bitcoin series, by being short, can appeal to pre-coiners, people who haven't developed their low time preference yet. They come in, they're like, I just want the answer. Show me why Bitcoin can't be stopped or show me why I should choose Bitcoin. 
which is great. And so that's why I've, I've given you uh, all these bite-sized, tweet-sized articles. Um, and hopefully when you've read them, you get curious enough and you feel your time preference lowering, your long-term horizon, be prepared. And then you can read some of the mine and lots of other people's longer form pieces that really take you deeper into these topics and give you the nuance that exists within them and gives you the understanding and motivates you to become a Bitcoiner, uh, which is someone who not just holds a bunch of Bitcoin with any, um, and maybe thinks about selling them for dollars in some day, but someone who understands that this is a one-way trade, that you're buying Bitcoin to enter into a new form of society, a new form of civilization, one that's free of a lot of the corruption and problems that our civilization has. And we have to be honest and critical about what it is that our, that ails our society or we can't actually improve it. Thanks a lot for reading that article. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, this brand new technology is something completely different we've ever seen. Uh, how can uh, people find out more about you and, and read, read your articles and whatnot right. uh, online? Well, I hope in the show notes, you've got links to my Medium and my uh, Twitter uh, pages. Uh, Tomer Strolight, which is T-O-M-E-R, S-T-R-O-L-I-G-H-T. So I'm at Tomer Strolight on Twitter. I'm TomerStrolight.medium.com on Medium. Uh, that's where, that's where you'll find 99% of my stuff. And I try to, I, everything that I do, I try to make it findable through Medium. I use Medium as my index page and everything new that I do, I promote on Twitter and I tweet very regularly, like several times a day, just thoughts that occur in my head and I retweet other thoughts that, um, I find that other people have had that are really good. Um, and you can find out uh, what that impl- what that implies in an article. <laughs> My most challenging article to read uh, for people who are really ambitious is called "Why Bitcoin or um, How Bitcoin is Like a Giant Cybernetic Meta Brain," and I point out that Bitcoin can actually think because it uses us as neurons inside of its meta brain, and that is kind of a, this mind blowing uh, conjecture of mine, which I don't think I've proven, but it's an interesting speculative idea to discuss, and so. Um, people are welcome to go down that route uh, if they feel that they've got enough understanding of Bitcoin that they want to consider some of these more challenging out there ideas. All right, awesome. Well, yeah, I'll definitely link your Twitter and your Medium in the in the show notes. So if anyone wants to go down the, that rabbit hole, they can. And I definitely do recommend your, your reading. So thanks a lot for coming on and discussing those three articles, Domer. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much for having me, Matt. It's been a pleasure.